take two. <coughs> That's a good way to start the recording, isn't it? If you or I shall ever have to go to the courts of Victoria, um, down to this lovely new courthouse we've got built here in Shepparton, they'll ask you to take an oath, something like this. I swear by Almighty God that the evidence I shall give will be the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. I've never had to take that oath before, but that's what they still do in some sense. You'll have to take an oath, something like that. I'll give the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Why do they want the truth in the courts? Why do they want the truth there? Well, obviously the truth clears all the air, doesn't it? The truth actually exposes and reveals all the lies about that particular case. They want the truth to come out and expose the lies that have been told about that particular situation or circumstance. And they don't want part of the truth when you turn up at court. They say that we want the whole truth. We don't want part of the story. We want the whole story. We want the whole truth. So we can see in actual reality what has taken place. Well, God wants us also to live in that truth. Not part truth, but whole truth, so that we can expose the lies of Satan that he would try and whisper into our lives. If you've got your Bibles, um, go to Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, we'll read from verses 10 to 20. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. Put on the whole armour of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armour of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Uh, Lord, thank you again that we can uh, come and gather around this uh, living word. Lord, it is not a dead word, it's a living word. It speaks into our hearts today and it reveals Christ to us. It exposes us of our faults and our brokenness and our sin. But God, this word gloriously heals us, equips us and strengthens us. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would bring that today to us so that we would grow in the likeness of Christ as we look at this truth here in Ephesians 6, and particularly the belt of truth as we think about that today. For we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Master prayed too long because my iPad went to sleep. Okay, just a reminder of where we've been for the last couple of weeks in this talk series on uh, spiritual warfare. Um, we have... Uh, Paul's brought to it, sorry, our attention that we are in a war, a spiritual war... Um, there's an unseen, ferocious enemy who works in lies and deceptions at destroying our lives. We spoke a fair bit about him uh, last week. And uh, 
We saw him, how he works with his whole horde of demons in this spiritual realm, working amongst us and trying to uh, take us down. Satan's hidden from our physical sight. We don't actually see a physical being in that, but he works relentlessly at needling us, disturbing us, upsetting us, putting fear into us, uh, pouring doubt into us, destabilising us, filling us with guilt and shame and condemnation. He deals in that, and he does it very subtly through lies and deceptions that are a barrage into our lives as Satan tries to gain a foothold in there. Paul has called us, um, a couple of weeks back, we saw to be strong in this spiritual warfare. Not on our strength, though, not on our strength, but to be strong. Is that a going? No. But to be strong in the power of God's strength that he freely gives us. And we discovered also that we are no match for Satan in our own strength. He's a supernatural, superhuman being. And uh, we need all the strength that we can get. And we need that strength from God. And God knows that. So he gives us that strength liberally and always at the right time. Just precisely when we need it. And sometimes when the battle's uh, really thick and strong, God always gives liberally exactly what is required at that time. We're also to be responsible in this, and that is to take up that strength and to live that, uh, act out that strength or live that strength out by faith. We're called to be active participants in this battle. We're not actually sort of hiding in a tank and sort of going around with a gun. We're actually like spiritual warfare, arm-to-arm combat. And we engage in this warfare with Satan through God's strength that he gives to us. Again, the spiritual battle is also very important for us to grasp in our lives because if we don't get a grasp of it, if we're unaware of the battle that's going on or we're unaware of the enemy that we're fighting against, we will live in a defeated life. It just happens that way. If you're not aware of the battle and you're not aware of the enemy and you are succumbing to his lies and schemes and deceptions, you will live a defeated life. Uh, That's just what will happen. But that is not God's design for us to live that way. To live in defeat. Hence, in steps Ephesians 6 and the rest of the scriptures for us. Paul calls us to our responsibilities to not only fight in God's strength, but also to put on spiritual armour to engage in this battle. And that's incredibly unbelievable, isn't it? That God provides for us armour to go into this battle with. Again, it's not a physical armour, but it's a spiritual armour that he gives us. And uh, I think that's just the great gift of God's grace that he does that, that he provides for us. He, he knows our weaknesses, he knows what we're up against, but he provides for us to be able to stand in this battle. And this is where we're going to go today. We're going to pick up on this word stand again in this passage. Also, we're going to then look at the first piece of the armour, uh, the belt of truth. And you're probably all thinking back to your Sunday school days of seeing those spiritual armour things around the flannel graphs or picture graphs. Has anybody seen a flannel graph before? That's revealing a lot of age there when I... A few younger hands went up, yeah. It's probably PowerPoint displayed in our flannel graphs, isn't it? Anyway, we've probably all come across that spiritual armour there. Let's jump into it. The whole point of the Bible, as we read these scriptures, is to reveal God to us and then ultimately to put our trust in Him for our salvation. That is the point of the scriptures. It's to reveal Jesus Christ, what He's done for us, and then to put our confidence in Him in His finished work at Calvary as we sung a couple of those songs there before. And this is exactly what Paul's doing for us here in Ephesians. He's revealing Christ through this for us, and he's wanting to build our confidence here in this as well. As we encounter this battle, he wants us to encounter this battle with hope, not with defeat, not with fear, but with hope. 
He actually wants us to stand. He's calling us to stand in this battle. He actually uses this word four times within four verses. And I think that's really important for us to see that. Verse 11, he says there that you may be able to stand. And then in verse 13, he uses it twice. He says, may be able to withstand in the evil day. And then having done all, to stand firm. And in case we haven't got it, he says it again in verse 14. He says this, stand therefore. I think Paul's trying to tell us something, isn't he, when he repeats that word four times in a number of verses. He's trying to communicate to us here something about this confidence. With this power of God working in us and the armour of God around us, Paul has no doubt, he has no doubt that we will be able to stand in this battle. If we take up what God's given to us, Paul has no doubt that we'll be able to resist Satan's attacks. That we'll be able to endure to the end of the battle. That we will be firm, standing right to the very end of this war between us and Satan. Paul's absolutely vitally aware of that. He's he's saying we will stand. We will not give in. We will not give up. We will not surrender. We will stand, is what Paul is calling us to. And I think he's building confidence into us as he talks like that. And confidence is a really critical thing, isn't it? Think about those sporting teams with the confidence they have. If there's a team with confidence, they seem to play with extra bounce. They seem to play with better precision and better speed. Confidence is an amazing thing. This confidence carries them into the contest, as it were, with a belief that we can overcome the opposition. And that's exactly what Paul's doing here as he repeats this word four times. He's trying to urge us to stand, but at the same time, call us to stand with confidence in what Christ has prepared for us. And that we can be confident of that here in God's armour and in God's strength. So it's important we get that foothold again of this confidence that Paul wants to give us here in standing. Let's move into truth then. And firstly, we're going to think about truth distorted as we now begin to sort of tackle this idea of the armour or the belt of truth. But we're going to think about this, um, this word truth here and how Satan and how the world we live in has distorted truth. Has distorted truth. Firstly, truth is the exact opposite to what Satan speaks. That's not his native tongue or his language at all. In John 8, we are told he speaks lies. He's the father of lies. That's all he knows what to do. Satan is saturated in lies and lives in a lie. So anything to do with the truth is totally foreign to who Satan is and what he's done. And what he does is actually vomit out, as it were, these lies onto the world, a whole bucket of lies into this world. And with these lies, he blinds the minds of unbelievers from seeing or knowing the truth as it's found and seen so clearly in Jesus Christ. It tells us in 2 Corinthians 4, 4 this. In their case, the God of this world, and Paul's referring to Satan there, or the devil, in their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ to the image of God. This is what he does with his lies. He blinds us from the truth. He distorts it. Satan slowly feeds into our minds these lies. And these lies just begin to fog up our mind. So we can't think clearly or see clearly uh, with what's happening with all these lies he's trying to fill us up with. And we can't see the gospel clearly. And he does it slowly. It's bit by bit. Bit by bit. As, As each time we buy into one of his lies, 
it's like it just puts a bit more fog into our minds and we just lose our vision of what's happening there with the truth of the gospel. Perhaps let me explain how he, how he does this in a cultural perspective here with the world. Uh, today in our Western culture particularly, we celebrate the individual at the expense of the community. We sort of uplift and celebrate the individual. We celebrate the individual who, as it were, pushes the boundaries in life. You know, the one who explores new frontiers. We see this individual rise up and conquer new heights. And it's like we really celebrate and applaud that. And in a sense, it's good to celebrate individuals who do significant things. That's not wrong in itself. But sometimes in this quest, as we are celebrating the individual who's pushing new boundaries and exploring new frontiers, we can easily do this at the cost of accepted norms or accepted truths that our community holds on to. Sometimes we'll celebrate the individual at the expense of what is known as the truth that the community's actually held on to for a long, long time. Somebody might say this, who's exploring this new frontier or pushing this new boundary. They might say this, this is my body. It's my freedom to do with it as I please. It's my body. I'm terminally ill. I just want to kill myself and end it all. It's been happening in our government over the last few months here in Victoria and now in Queensland. It's pushing this new frontier of freedom. It's my body. It's all about me. I can make my own choices. Now, what happens here sometimes in this with the culture is we begin to applaud the bravery of these individuals in their newfound freedom. That's such a brave and incredibly amazing thing that you've done, that you can exercise your freedom even in death. The culture will begin to pick that up and think this is just such a brave thing they've done. But this supposed newfound freedom or newfound sort of bravery has trumped, as it were, the accepted norms and truths that we've held on to as a community for millennia. And that truth is that life is sacred. Life is precious. It's not up to us when we take our life. We allow God through the natural course of life to extinguish our life. But you can see here where culture wants to applaud those who say, no, we found a whole new freedom. We can actually take our own life when we choose to. And what that does, it trumps the truth that we've lived in or lived upon for millennia. Truth is under attack in our culture today. It really is. In the book of Isaiah, it says this in Isaiah 59, 14. Justice is turned back and righteousness stands far away for truth has stumbled in the public squares and uprightness cannot enter. Truth has fallen in the public square. Pontius Pilate said this about truth 700 years later after Isaiah. Then Pilate said to him, talking to Jesus, so you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who was of the truth listens to my voice. And Pilate answers him, What is truth? What is truth? In the world today, truth is just about whatever you want it to be. It's just about whatever you want it to be. Any such thing of absolute truth when it crosses with somebody else's worldview in mind, they'll come out and probably say something like this, well, that's true for you, but that's not necessarily true for me. This, this idea of absolute truth 
has been totally muddied and fogged and sort of deceived by Satan's lies as he pours into this world that very own thing. And that's what happens. We buy into those lies and it blinds us from the truth. And it's here, it's here at the very nature of truth that often this spiritual warfare is at its deepest and hardest when truth is under attack in our own lives. So it's vitally important here that we see that today. This is uh, critical that we understand this uh, belt of truth. So that's truth distorted as such by Satan and the world, but that's not the belt that Paul wants us to put on today as we think about spiritual armour. He wants us to put on the belt of truth. And it's really interesting here that Paul uses this belt first. I think it really highlights the importance of truth for us. Uh, In Roman battle gear, uh, even though it's a relatively small piece of equipment, it plays an important role, the belt. You might think, was that just a sort of, you know, an accessory? As Some people might wear them today, some of those country western guys, those big belt buckles on their belts. Is it that? A typical Roman soldier uh, would have had a long flowing garment on. You may have seen some photos there, but that's sort of like a a caftan. Is that sort of a thing? It's a big long flowing garment. That's sort of typical garb for what they were wearing back in those days. So you can imagine if that sort of loose flowing garment was was, um, sort of just doing its thing out there without a belt on, could you imagine trying to run in that loose flowing garment? It would be pretty cumbersome, wouldn't it? Particularly if you were trying to run at the enemy very good chance you would probably trip over. Definitely if it was me running in that sort of garment, I would go straight over. So the belt's important. What's the belt do? It actually pulls everything together. It pulls that garment together and straps it tightly around that person and binds it tightly so it doesn't get tangled up in his clothes. So then if he wants to run into the battlefront, he's actually pulled together. The belt is probably the most, uh, the, most uh, the first thing he would put on. As a soldier, he would actually, if he's preparing for battle, he would put the belt on first. Think about this as we think about the importance here of a belt. Think about a weightlifter. Everybody's with Olympic Games recently? Commonwealth Games or something recently? In the last, well, there's got to be something in the last two years at least when I say that. Either Commonwealth or Olympic. Think about that if you can go back there in your mind. Think about a weightlifter. He puts on a belt, doesn't he? You always see that big, sort of thick, strong, heavy belt um, sort of strapped around him. Uh, that belt is not necessarily for back protection. We all tend to think, oh, that's to help him with his back you know, when he lifts those weights. It does aid with that, but that's not primarily what the belt is for when that weightlifter puts that big, heavy belt on. What that belt actually does, it aids him in strength to lift. This belt actually, as it were, when the muscles front and back around the spine begin to tense up as this guy is doing the clean and jerk or the snatch and grab or whatever he does, and all those muscles are working front and back, those muscles are wanting to go all over the place under the strain of picking up you know, a couple hundred kilograms or whatever they pick up. Those muscles want to go everywhere. They're just straining out and in and upside down all over the place. The belt actually takes all those muscles and helps stabilise them to keep them in line with his spine, so there's a bit of back protection there, so enable him to lift those heavy weights. If he didn't have that belt on, he might drop 30, 40, 50 kilograms with that because his muscles would not be able to work together in a stabilised way to pick up that heavy belt. The weightlifter will not pick up until he's put that belt on. He's not prepared to lift until that belt is in place 
and it's tightened up to the very proportion it needs to be. And this is exactly, exactly what the belt of truth does for us in spiritual warfare. The truth prepares us to face Satan and to be stabilised against him. Just like it stabilises a weightlifter, it does the same for us in the sense of not the belt, but the truth. It stabilises us against Satan and his tactics. When Satan begins to throw these lies at us to try and knock us off balance, the truth comes in and it stabilises us. It holds us up. It holds us in a correct position to stand against him. It holds us together so we can stand against his lies. The question, though, then, is this, if, as we think about this belt, because it's not actually about the physical belt, it's about the truth. So what is the truth here that Paul talks about when he says the belt of truth? What is this truth that he's thinking of? It's a bit challenging here, this one, as I've read a number of commentaries earlier through the week. Um, a, a number of them said, look, the Bible is the truth, and I'm not going to argue with that at all. The Bible is the absolute truth. And, you know, that's, that's what they were saying. We're thinking that's what it is. It's, it's the Bible. You've got to have the scriptures, you know, stabilising your life totally. But some other commentary said maybe there's some other understanding of truth here alongside the Bible or with the Bible because Paul's already referring to the sword of the Spirit, as we'll see in a few weeks' time, as being the Word of God. So why would it be saying the Bible now is the belt of truth and then maybe, you know, two lines later it says the Word of God or the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God is the truth. So then they're thinking maybe there's some other understanding here of truth. And as I thought about that, I landed here in thinking about that. All truth certainly originates from God. Absolutely right. All truth uh, comes from God. And we do see most clearly God's truth in the Bible. No question about that. And we see truth in the Bible, though, operate in a number of different ways. There's a number of different ways that truth actually works through the Bible in our lives. So I'm convinced here, as Paul wrote this myself, thinking about that and reading these various commentaries and sort of meditating over it, that Paul wasn't wanting us to just know some parts of the truth. He wasn't, he wasn't thinking of the belt of truth here to be just knowing just a part of this and a part of that. It wasn't parts of the truth that Paul was thinking of. It's like, you know, here, just put on some of these parts of the truth and that should be all right. Just some parts of it. And I've thought about this example to maybe highlight that, if we only have part of the truth or part of the information that required. Who's ever put a bike together for their kids before Christmas? Do you normally wait for Christmas Eve? Well, I've done that quite a few times. It doesn't work well. Sometimes you get the instructions, there could be ten parts to the instruction. And I sort of like to get, just get to part number ten, let's just get the bike seat on and just wheel it out the box. Well, sometimes if you just don't get all those instructions in place and you skip from one to three and then you just sort of jump down to six and the bike just doesn't come together, does it? Because you've only got part of the instructions. You've only got part of the truth. You actually need all of the instructions. You need all of the truth. And this is what I think, say, Paul is doing here. He wants us to have all of the truth because it's like a belt in Paul's mind. If we haven't got all of the truth, it would be like a belt full of holes. So the moment you do the clean and jerk against Satan, pulling up 200 kilograms with a belt full of holes, probably the belt will just give way because it's not, it's not completed and you won't be able to stand against him. So Paul wants us here, I believe, to get all of the truth. 
He wants us to stand against Satan and all of his schemes and to be wrapped, as it were, with the entirety of the truth of God. If we're to stand against Satan and see through his lies and overcome his deceptions, it's of the utmost importance that we are seeking to build ourselves in the complete truth of God. Not being content with just a part here and there and trying to live off bits and pieces because it will not stand at that time when the test really comes on. Now, I know at the same time you're saying, how can we ever fully grasp the truth of God? How can anybody ever fully comprehend all of this and just have it readily available in their minds? I grant that. I grant that. We never will fully grasp everything here that's contained in the Bible. But at the same time, it doesn't let us off the responsibility of growing in that truth and to complete ourselves, as it were, more and more in the truth that God gives us. Jesus himself said this about truth in John 8, uh, verses 31-32. Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. It's a classic verse, but it's just so, so true. The truth will set you free. Now, even though we've spoken about the entirety of the truth, we can't possibly... um, take all of the scriptures today and say, let's just go for the whole truth. But we're going to look at some parts of the truth that you may not be thinking of now or you may have just great to reflect again upon. We're going to look at some parts of the truth today to stabilise these belts we have, as it were, these spiritual belts of truth. John 17, 17 says this, Sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. Sanctify them in truth, your word is truth. With the belt of truth wrapped around us, we must be actively pursuing sanctification. There's a big word to confuse us on a Sunday morning, isn't it? Big words that end in shun. Who's ever heard of that song? Colin Buchanan? No, a few hands. Sanctification, it's a big word that just really means being set apart. Set apart. If we are to step up to the plate in the war against Satan, the truth of the gospel must be working in us, in truth, to be separated from sinful or wrong practices. The gospel, as it were, must be informing us with the truth so that we are making the right choices, being set apart. We're allowing God's word to working with God's spirit in our hearts, in our minds, to separate us from sinful practices and sinful choices. And invariably, this truth starts with our mind. It actually comes here first. We apprehend, we might see it visually, we might read it, We might hear it, but it actually gets apprehended in our minds. That's where it starts. And it starts possibly a bit like this. Satan comes along with a camouflage deception. He comes along with his half-truths, as we looked at that last week, and he quickly fires this dart into our mind. This thought lands in there, right somewhere in this grey matter up on top of our, or in our heads. And it could be something like this. You could be down the street and you, and you have this thought and you, it goes like this. Do you see that car over there? You need a car like that. If you had a car like that, just imagine what the people would say about you. Imagine how cool it would be to drive to work in that car. Can you imagine the looks on their faces now if you pulled into the work car park and they saw you getting out of that car arriving to work you would blow them away with that car 
Just a simple little thought. Just starts like that. What's Satan doing there when he fires that dart into our minds? In a very deceptive sense, he's trying to get us to build our identity out of that car. That's probably what's happening at the bottom of all that. If I have that car, then I'll then they'll think I'm pretty cool. I'm a cool babe or a hot guy if I can drive a car like that. If I can just have that car, that will actually make me more significant. Now, you could sub in there what you like as far as a car is concerned. You could say, hey, if I could have those clothes, if I could have those shoes, if I could have that house, or you know, if I could eat at those certain places, if I could have achievement or success, or if I could have this superior intellect, or if I could holiday at some certain location, if people can just notice that about me, then somehow that will make me feel more significant. Satan just throws that little dart in there. There's a million things we could get tent of there. But with all this, Satan is trying to get us down the path of building our life or our our identity out of stuff and to build our life on that. If I had that, I would be happy and people would accept me better if I just had that car or that clothes or that house. Here's where the belt of truth kicks in, though. In the process of setting myself apart from these faulty choices in my life, in this process, the truth informs my mind. It comes to me and says, my identity is in Jesus Christ, and it's not in stuff. It's not in that car or those shoes or that house or that holiday destination. The truth tells me, that I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. The truth tells me that Jesus died for me regardless of any stuff that I may have accumulated. The truth tells me that God accepts me because of Jesus' love for me, not the sort of car I'm driving. Satan comes and tells me, no, no, you need the car. You'll be more complete with that. Here's what happens, though, with Satan's lie if I buy it at this point. If I buy his lie and potentially I bought the car as well, Six months later or a year later, my brand new shiny car is no longer brand new and shiny and new as it was. A better model has come out. A newer one has come out. And Satan comes along again and he says this. Do you see that car over there? You need that car. That's what he does. He just repeats that same story again. And little bit by little bit, he gradually draws me down this path of destruction by whispering these lies into my mind. And even if you're not a believer here, even if you've not ever stepped foot in the church before, you can see this happening around about us very vividly at times. When we build our lives on these empty promises that these things that we accumulate in our life will somehow sustain us and make me feel like a more important person or a more significant person, we actually find out that they are empty promises. It's like building a house on sand. So when the storms do come, it crashes down. And there's multiple, multiple, multiple rich people in this world who have built their lives on accumulating this stuff and they're still not satisfied. They're still not content. These are the empty lies and the empty promises that Satan does to distort us and destroy us. Truth also, it anchors us in life with strong foundations to stand against Satan. 2 Peter 1.2 says this, Therefore I intend always to remind you of these qualities, 
Though you know them and are established in the truth. Get that there. Established in the truth that you have. Peter here tells us that the truth establishes us. The truth establishes us. The world stumbles and staggers around the truth. Around what is right and what is really not knowing what to do. And and really the world's not knowing what to do in the sense of truth. It stumbles and staggers around that. But we instead, if we wrap the belt of truth around us, we will be established. We will be planted firmly in Christ. So when the trials do come, we will stand strong. Because the truth, as it were, establishes us with strong foundations. Jesus has that classic phrase at the end of the Sermon on the Mount. He says, whoever builds their life on my word of truth, or on my teachings, he says there, whoever builds their life on these truths, whoever builds their life on these foundations, he said, you're building your life on solid rock. You're building your life on solid rock. And when the storms of life do come, it will not be shifted. Because those truths have established us deeply and anchored us into the rock of Christ Jesus, who is. So this belt of truth, establishes us, the truth of who Christ is. So Paul says, put on the belt of truth. Put it on. The truth also is something that is deep within us, that we also must actively live it out if we are to stand against Satan's schemes in our lives. 2 Corinthians 11.10 says this, As the truth of Christ is in me, Paul's writing to the Corinthians, he says, the truth of Christ is in me. This boasting of mine will not be silenced in the regions of Achaia. By the grace of God, the Spirit has placed the truth of Christ within me. If you are a believer, when you've been born again, as it were, become, uh, put your trust in Jesus Christ and your hope in Him, the, the Holy Spirit, as it were, puts that truth in you as a seed initially, and this truth then grows as we mature as believers. But it's in us. It's in us. But remember, again, Christianity isn't a passive life. We're not a passenger on a bus, as it were, travelling around the bus of truth. It's not passivity in that sense. It's something that we need to live out in our lives. And when we're wrapped in this belt of truth, we need to be actively living out the truth in every moment of this life. Because when we live this truth out, it does serve to fortify us and strengthen us in the battles that we face. What I mean is this as we live out this truth. It could go like this. If we're living out the truth of the gospel and making right choices, if I'm choosing to honour God with what I watch on the internet and not opening myself up to sinful viewing, if I'm doing that, I'm actually shutting down the opportunities for Satan to break into my life. If I'm making those active choices to be very careful about what I view, I'm shutting down the opportunities for Satan, does it work to break in through this armour? Because he wants to slide right on in there and he wants to drag me down deeper into sin. But if I'm not making those right choices, if I'm not very careful with what I'm viewing or what I'm hearing, it goes a bit like this. Satan is sitting right alongside me at that computer. He's sitting right alongside me. He's in that room with me on that computer. And when I flick to that site that I shouldn't go to, Satan says, just bring it on, bro. Bring it on. A little bit of that won't hurt you. He just whispers that into his ears. It won't hurt. Just a little bit won't hurt. If we're not living out the truth of the gospel in our everyday choices, we are leaving a door wide open. 
wide open for Satan to come in. If we're not allowing that truth to inform us and the choices we make, and he will, he will come in. He's sitting right there looking for any opportunity where we might show that apparent weakness and he will just jam his foot right in the door and just jar it right open if we leave those opportunities for him. So Paul says, fasten on the belt of truth. So here is the first piece of armour that we put on in this spiritual fight. It is the belt of truth. It is the belt of truth. And as I read this today, as I think about this here and what Paul's doing in the end of Ephesians, I'm filled with confidence. I'm absolutely filled with confidence as I think about what Paul's doing here. Because you and I aren't facing a hopeless situation. We really are. We're not undone here, as it might appear. Satan, yes, is a daunting enemy. And he works powerfully in deception in our lives. He covers his tracks so that we cannot see his doings. He doesn't want to, as it were, jump out in front of us and reveal himself to us. Because then we'll know exactly where he is. And we'll know exactly how to avoid him. He works in camouflage. He covers his tracks. And he keeps the disguise up at all times so he can keep deceiving us. But we're not undone. It's not hopeless. And there is victory here. And there is strength here. And the confidence for me, as I look at this belt of truth also comes out of scriptures like this in 2 Corinthians 4.6. It says this, For God, who said, Let light shine out of the darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ, God has graciously and wonderfully, as it were, shone, shone the light of the knowledge or the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ into our hearts. It's a light that, as it were, beams this truth into our minds and into our hearts. And this gospel truth that shines in like this incredible spotlight brings me freedom. It brings me freedom. God in his grace shines this light in here into my darkened mind that Satan has been fogging up with all sorts of darkness. This light comes in. And what does light do in a dark room? It expels the darkness. It clears away the darkness. And this is the confidence and the hope that I get as I think about this. It's not hopeless. It's in fact powerful what God has given to us to overcome the enemy. We let this light come in and we meditate on that light and it actually expels the darkness, clears the darkness so we can clearly see into this world. Do you have that belt fastened on? Is the belt of truth something that you are actively engaging in and filling up your hearts and your lives with the truth that God's given to us? Is it fastened on? Or is it a belt that's just sort of hanging loose? Just a bit sloppy with the truth? Ah, she'll be right. Just a few bits and pieces here and there. That'll do. And then you wonder, gee, how do I get defeated? Are we immersing ourselves in God's truth to keep this belt strong, to keep it vibrant, to keep it in tension, wrapped tightly around about us? Or are you trying to use a belt that's full of holes that the moment the pressure comes on, the belt breaks? Fasten on this belt of truth today. You put this belt on and wrap it tightly around yourself, spiritually speaking, 
and confidently take your stand and you will overcome Satan. You will resist his temptations and all of his deceptions and he will not knock you over if you keep this belt fastened on that God gives to us in his power. Let's pray. Father, we thank you and praise you today that we can come and uh, hear about this truth, this belt that you've given to us today. And I pray that, uh, Holy Spirit, you would come, as it were, and help us to be uh, fastened with this truth around about us. Spiritually speaking, we would allow the truth of the gospel, as it were, to come in and fill up our hearts and our minds so that we would be uh, walking in the truth. So when Satan fires his lies and his deceptions at us, this truth is able to penetrate right through those lies, dispel those lies, clear those lies away so that we can see clearly into this world. Help us today, Lord, I pray. And help us to, to uh, walk together in this sense of uh, coming together as a corporate body to live in this truth as well as a body of Christ. Lord, for those today who are feeling defeated, for those today Lord, who felt this week I've let God down again, I pray, God, that you would just renew our hearts and minds, that, uh, Lord, you do enable us to stand up again and to put that truth on and to fortify ourselves again. So I pray for your grace to come into their lives, Lord, today in that and to restore them. Father, today we give you thanks and we give you praise now in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul is about to lead us in the communion table. Yep. So, Sam and Kirk, if you guys could do the elements, that'll be good. Yeah, if you want to hear a bit more about um, how we can stay confident. Have that joy, you'll be here next week uh, because I'm going to be talking about that from 2 Corinthians. And if you live in Melbourne or Bendigo, you'll come back, <laughs> won't you? Anyway, uh, we're going to now have a reading um, from 1 Corinthians as we uh, look to be reminded of what the Lord's Supper is about. This is 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 11. We